0: Jennifer just read, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know how your week has been, but maybe uh, it's been a week where it's been tough. Uh, Maybe it's a week where you're maybe a little weary. Perhaps you're losing heart because something going on in your life of a loved one or just in general what's going on in the world. How do you live by faith at that time? How do you walk by faith when you feel like you're losing heart, when you're losing hope? We're told in Hebrews 11, verse 1, that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And we're told in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God but how do we live by faith how do we walk by faith when when we're tempted to just get tired and weary and how do you live by faith it's a very practical question i think a very pertinent question because there're all going to be times there's always going to be times for all of us when we get weary and we we want to stop walking we want to stop following living by faith That's what we're looking at these past few weeks as we look at Hebrews 11 and chapter 12 as well on this topic of how do we live by faith? Let's begin with the first part of verse one. We're going to work our way through this uh, and um, let's begin with verse one. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, how do we live by faith? We learn from the example of those who've gone before us in the faith. Just a couple of weeks ago, a uh, cross-country season ended and we uh, had a lot of individuals and teams from our county who did very, very well. And I never ran cross-country. I did track, but not cross-country. Running that far wasn't always exciting for me. Um, but I've been to some, to some cross-country meets. And one of the things that's kind of cool is, is this sense of camaraderie. You know, you, you're not running by yourself. You have teammates. But also along the course, you have people, family, friends, coaches at different points of the course. They gather and they cheer them. They sprint off as fast as they can or drive where they need to and to the next part of the race where they can cheer you again. And then at the end, they all gather at the finish line, uh, parents and, and coaches cheering you. And there are teammates and fellow, fellow runners who have already finished. They've gone before you and they're encouraging you. And runners usually get a burst of adrenaline or energy and, and encouragement helps them carry through to the finish. Can you imagine what it'd be like if if you ran a race and there was nobody else? You're by yourself. There's nobody on the course to cheer you. Nobody at the finish line to to welcome you or to reward you. Can you imagine if you didn't know of anybody else who'd ever run that particular course? You'd feel so alone that nobody had ever experienced what you've experienced, what you nobody would know what you were going through. You know, having people cheering and knowing that it's possible to finish the race, knowing it's possible that somebody could push through uh, that, that barrier, overcome that hill, finish the race. Well, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? The author of Hebrews in chapter 11, which is known as the Faith Hall of Fame, has named many people who have finished the race. Many people who have gone before. Some of them are very well known, like David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on and so forth, Moses. Some of them not quite as well known, like Jephthah uh, or Rahab. And some of them, we don't know their names. He simply calls them the others. People, ordinary people like, like you and me who've run the race, who've finished the race. And what the author of Hebrews does here at the beginning of chapter 12, he positions them along the course. At different parts of the course, he has them watching and cheering and, and witnessing what we're doing. And they're at, they're at the finish line as well encouraging us, and, and we can know that the race is possible, that it's doable, no matter how hard it is, to live by faith. Now, maybe it's hard for you to relate to people who lived a couple thousand years ago. Sometimes it can be, because different culture, different place. I mean, how would they operate in a democracy? They didn't have a democracy. How they handle different technologies, or this or that. How they make medical decisions? All these different things that they didn't have, that wasn't an pr- issue for them. But we all have people who've gone before us in the faith that we can relate to even more. I mean, but you look at the people of the Bible, they're relatable because they make mistakes, they have failures, they have successes. But if you're having a hard time connecting, think of somebody in your own life who's gone before you in the faith, a a grandparent maybe, or, or a parent, or a sibling, older sibling, maybe aunt or uncle, or a co-worker, somebody at church, somebody who lived by faith. You're probably picturing somebody in your mind Right now. They're they're cheering us on. They're cheering you on. You can do this. You can finish this. you got this. And we can learn from how they lived and how they lived by faith. Both their examples and their failures and their victories. We learn from their example and we live by faith. So the author of Hebrews moves from talking about what faith is and giving us examples to now, practically, how do we do this? How do we live by faith? The first thing is we we learn from the examples of those who have gone before us. Right? That's how we learn things in other areas of life. But let's move through this chapter, these first few verses. Let's move now to the first the middle part of verse one, where he says, Let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles. How do you live by faith? Will, you throw off things that slow you down and sidetrack you. Now when you go to watch a race, you see that they've trained, they have coaches, they're prepared, they probably visualize, they've been working towards this race. They have a, a time in mind, maybe a goal, time in mind, or a placement in mind. and they're looking for any edge that they can get to give them a better time. So what do they do? They don't wear hiking boots. They don't wear a heavy coat. They don't wear long pants. They wear ultra light clothes, ultra light shoes. They throw off everything that slows them down. Another way to think about this, I like to backpack. And the first time I took my boys backpacking, I wanted to make sure they had everything that they needed. It was just for one night. But I threw in everything with a kitchen sink, extra clothes, extra food, extra equipment. And, you know, it was really heavy. And about halfway through, like, this is a stupid idea. What was I thinking? But my boys were with me, so I kept going, and we, we, we got there. You know, over the years, I've gotten better about this. I've learned to cut down on what I carry. I've maybe cut it in half, what I carry now. I still have some extra things here and there, but mostly what I don't need, what I don't use, I leave behind. And it makes a big difference because I'm able to go farther and further further. And my trips are more enjoyable because I'm, I'm, I'm not burdened down by extra stuff, unnecessary things, unused things. Spiritually, it's the same way. If we want to live by faith, if we want to progress in the faith, if we want to, to do the best we can, if we want to get to places spiritually that we currently are not, we need to cut out the things that, that slow us down, that, that, that sidetrack us. We must throw off the sin that so easily entangles, as Hebrews puts it. So, so the question we need to ask ourselves, if we want to live by faith, truly do, then what are the things that sidetrack us spiritually? What are the things that, that slow us down? What are the things that keep us from going places spiritually? Now for some of us, it can be something that's been in our lives for a long time, a habit that we, you know, we can't shake. Or perhaps we don't want to shake it. We rationalize, we justify, we think, well, that's, we just resign ourselves to it. And we're stuck and we're on a side trail that, that leads us away from the life of faith. For some of us, it might be something more recent or maybe less obvious, but it's just as effective in keeping us from living by faith. It could be something just as simple as constantly scrolling through social media, getting worked up about things, arguing with people that we don't know. It could be spending our days chasing experiences at the expense of experiencing the power and the presence and the peace of God himself. The author of Hebrews says, throw off these things that slow you down. Throw off these things that that trip you up and sidetrack you. You're running a race. You're called to a life of faith by living by faith. And so we are to do a hard, honest self-evaluation and jettison." Get rid of anything that slows us down and keeps us from following Jesus in our daily lives. You see, faith is not just a mental ascent. It's just not uh, right thinking. It, It leads to action. It leads to fruit. Let's take a look now at the last part of chapter one. Where he writes, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do we live a life of faith? We stay on the course until the race is done. You know, Just uh, a week ago, uh, yesterday, uh, hundreds of people were in Slina to run the Crossroads Marathon, Half Marathon and 4.01K race. Um, I know some of you ran. Uh, I did not. But that morning, uh, Nancy, my wife and I were taking our morning walk and a couple different places. We crossed the course. And there were volunteers and orange cones and police cars and officers at different places. Why? So that people wouldn't get lost, so they wouldn't get hurt or confused or turned around. I mean, it wouldn't have worked if the race course wasn't clearly marked out. If it hadn't been, people would have started giving up or thinking they were done when they really weren't. So the course was clearly marked out. And I'm sure most runners looked at the map ahead of time or they drove the course or at least walked parts of it and checked it out so they knew it was coming. They knew where the course was. It's hard to hang in there and finish if you don't know the boundaries of the course and where the finish line is. If we want to live our lives by faith, we are to stay the course. We don't give up and try to take shortcuts. There are no shortcuts spiritually. We, we don't sit down and say, I'm too tired, I give up, this is too hard. We don't change the parameters of the race. And this is something that is a real tendency for a lot of us to do. I'll obey God in this area of my life, but not in those areas. I'll live by faith here. I'll trust God with this, but not with that. So we change the parameters of the race. But the race is laid out clearly in advance. The course is set far before we're born. What did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you have to give it up. Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him. And what? He will direct your path. He will will direct your, your course. So we don't change the course because we don't like it or because it's challenging. We run with grit and determination. We persevere. Let's move on to verse two. Where we read, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our Faith. This seems very basic, but it's so crucial, and it's so easy not to do this. How do we live a life of faith? We focus on Jesus. We set our eyes on Jesus. When it gets hard, and when we doubt where the race course is taking us, when we're tempted to give up, we focus our eyes on Jesus. Why? Why? Because we read this. We remember what he did for us. The second part of verse 2. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we, when we get weary, when we want to lose heart, when we start to lose heart, we focus our eyes on Jesus. Remember what he did for us. But when the race course is smooth and easy sailing, when it's flat and fast, or maybe it's a gentle decline and we're really picking up momentum in our lives, we focus on Jesus. Why? Lest we think we don't need him. Lest we think we're responsible for how well it's going. Lest we become full of ourselves. And so those times we're likely to trip and fall or wander off course. Now, I, 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 used, I used to run a number of years ago, quite a bit. And more times than I like to admit, I'd be cruising along, feeling great, beating my time, I'll look over here, look over there, start to gaze around, and trip on a tree root, trip on the sidewalk, trip on a pothole or a curb, and then jump up real fast, hope nobody saw you. We look to Jesus and remember That he is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That means that he is the one who started our faith. He brought us to life. It's not of our own doing. And he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who will bring to completion what he started in our lives. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who brings life. He's the one who will help us finish the race. So like the old song, we are to turn our eyes upon Jesus. And we look full in his wonderful face. And then what happens? And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How do we run the race of faith? How do we live by faith? Next, let's take a look at verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who... Who have been trained by it. How do we live by faith? We receive correction and discipline from God and we change course. Now, nobody likes discipline. It's not pleasant. Nobody likes to be the one to have to discipline. If you do like to discipline people, then maybe a little bit of sadism there. And nobody likes to receive discipline. I mean, as a kid, I didn't like to receive it. As a parent, I didn't enjoy giving it. But Hebrews said that God's discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by this. How does this work? Let's look at God's part first. We start with emphasizing that God is is a perfect father and a perfect parent. I know that I'm not. I've never met a perfect parent. A lot of great parents, a lot of good parents, but no perfect ones. Which means that sometimes when we exercise discipline, we get it wrong. If we discipline out of anger or frustration, if we lash out and overreact, if the punishment does not fit the crime, then we got it wrong. But God, despite what we often think or wonder about, God doesn't get it wrong. We're told in verse 10, God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. So we become like Jesus Christ, like him. And so the picture of God that we have is that even when he disciplines us, even when he lets us suffer the consequences of our own choices, our sin, he does so out of love. He does so with, with a purpose so that we'll become more like Jesus and share in his holiness. It isn't discipline, that, isn't that sort of how it works with us and our kids? We correct, we warn, we discipline. Not because we don't want our kids to have fun, not because... We enjoy seeing them have pain, but because we love them and we want what's best for them, which sometimes means allowing them to learn from their mistakes, which causes pain for them, but also causes pain for the parent. You ever think about that? I mean, when we're going through something difficult as a result of our choices and our mistakes or our sins, we focus on our pain, our suffering. But God gains no pleasure from that. God doesn't shake his head in frustration, in anger. You're getting what you deserve. Grow up. I told you so. I warned you. If you're a child of God, God's heart is broken. God feels pain when we're disciplined because he loves us. Now, for our part, if we're to live our lives by faith, we receive correction and discipline from God willingly. Seems obvious, but that's not the way it often is, is it? I mean, one of the most frustrating things as a parent is when a kid doesn't learn. They stubbornly persist in a behavior or an attitude that's hurting them, that's putting them on the wrong course. And your desire as a parent is that from your discipline, your child changes course. That's God's purpose for us when we're disciplined. And yet, I can speak from experience. There have been times when I've stubbornly resisted and stayed on my course rather than God's. And it always leads to more pain. And as a pastor, I've seen it in the lives of others. And it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, if you're running a race, think of it this way. And you veer off course and you end up in the middle of the field with thorns and stickers and your legs and your feet are covered with thorns and stickers and every every step hurts and, and all of a sudden an angry bull is there and chasing after you um, and you hear the race director saying, you're off course over here, over here. You're making things harder for yourself. It's not safe there. You can keep running and it'll get worse for you. Or you can listen to the race director, turn around, get back on course and finish the race strong. If we are to live a life by faith, we must trust that God is good, that his ways are good, his purposes are good. And when we do, we receive his discipline, we learn from it, and we we change course, we change directions. We follow his direction, which is what we call repentance. Almost done here. How do we live by faith? we remember what the point of the race is. Hebrews says, Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's hard to finish a, a task, much less a race, if you don't know the point of what you're doing. I mean, just busy work. It drives you nuts, doesn't it? I want to know what I'm doing is going to make a difference. I, don't, I want to know why it's good for me, why I should do this. And the point of the Christian race, the point of living by faith, is that it gives, us, it gives us peace with God and with each other and with ourselves. The point of the race is that we're made righteous, not in our own good works, but we're right with God and right with us because of what Jesus has done for us by faith. And if we live by faith, and if we allow God to do His work in our lives, we will know that peace, and we will have that purpose. And we'll bring glory to God, which is the point of the race, isn't it? So, how do we live by faith? We learn from the examples of those who've gone before. We throw off anything that slows us down or sidetracks us. We stay on the course until the race is done. We don't change the parameters, we focus on Jesus especially when it's going well, we receive correction and discipline from God and we change course and we remember what the point of the race is. So the race has started. Run it well. Run it by faith. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the example of those who've gone before us in the scriptures, but also people in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that um, you're a God who loves us so much that you, you, um, you discipline us and in, 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 out of love to, to, so that we won't pursue paths that take us into pain and, 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 and a lack of peace and, and alienation and lack of fruit. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. And to run our race with perseverance, knowing that you are there with us, that you're cheering for us, and that through your spirit, we will get to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.